Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Now, for those of you who weren't listening right at the end of our last pod, uh, you'll be surprised to know that this is not the normal news pod. This is a questions pod because we're having a very brief Price of Football summer break. Yes, as, as, as you are rightly saying to yourself, in the middle of the last weeks of the transfer window, Yes, because that's the sort of people we are. So we're recording this on the 19th of August. If any huge news story happens, if the Glazers have sold Man United to produce a guy, we will cover that as soon as we're back. But just for the next two pods, we are pre-recording to Questions Pod because we didn't leave you. We didn't want to leave you with blank air. We're not those sort of people, are we, Kieran? No, 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 no. Uh, and we've also got. 1,300 questions unanswered, so it gives us an opportunity to to reduce uh, to reduce producers' guys' piles. Yeah. <laughs> That's why Viz pays you the big money. <laughs> That's right. The, the idea of reducing producer guys' piles. Yeah, and it, it, it also occurs to me, you know, the last couple of normal questions pods we've done, and again, this is what you get on this pod, uh, new listeners. We do tend to talk out loud when perhaps we should be keeping these thoughts inside uh, I did wonder why there are slightly fewer questions than normal but obviously he was stockpiling stockpiling for the summer break so we, we, here we are and our first question comes from Alexander Walton now Alexander says that on a recent pod Kieran mentioned that very few teams in the National League are part-time my club this is why we need the summer break Kieran so I can learn to pronounce simple words properly. My club, Altrincham, is one of those. Can you tell me how we are surviving in the higher league? Are we punching way above our weight? And are there any benefits to staying part-time? Now, that's an interesting one. The, the end of that question in particular, Kieran, any benefits to staying part-time is very interesting because when we had um, the owner of Grimsby Town on recently, uh, he said no way could a club survive and thrive as a part-time team in the National League. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and Jason has just written a really good article in the Guardian in the last few days as well, which is I'd well, uh, I'd, I'd recommend anybody uh, uh, check that out. Uh, um, as as far as Alty are concerned, and um, I, I used to live in Hale, which is uh, is is part of, next to Altrincham, uh, and I used to walk uh, uh, to, uh, to 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 ground and watch them play. Uh, and it was a great place, uh, you know, just for non-league football. Um, they are doing extremely well from uh, a financial point of view. If, if we take a look at the the National League as a whole, um, they for the last year, I've got full figures uh, that they were losing overall £300,000 a week uh, in, in the National League. And that was pre-COVID. Um, and that was partly a function of clubs uh, being full-time, uh, they so they've got the they've got those non-stop costs and they've not got the TV revenues they've they've not got the commercial income that that you get from being in in the EFL and, and I think this is part of a much broader issue of have we now reached a point in time where the National League has been acknowledged as the unofficial Division Five of English football for, for many many years should we make it slightly more formal and make the transition that much easier by having three up three down I know that's something the National League themselves are very keen on 
equally, you can understand the, the reticence from, from clubs in the EFL for, for going down that particular route. But when it comes to um, Altrincham, they're, they're profitable. They, they make money in the National League. Uh, their, their most recent accounts showed that they made around about £70,000 for the year. Um, and, and this is one of the benefits of being part-time in that you're not having to pay out uh, those, th- those significant wages. Yet the top players in the National League will be on four or five grand a week, which is you know £250,000 for, for somebody that's playing in the fifth tier of football. You will not see that anywhere else in European football. I think it is testament to the, the nature of the, the pyramid that we do have here. Um, so that, that's the advantage. The, the, the downside is that if you're, uh, if, if you're paying people on a part-time basis, they're training on a part-time basis. So, so there will be consequences in terms of uh, potential uh, uh, benchmarking against the physical fitness of other clubs. And if you're paying people on a part-time basis, then there's always a chance that somebody will come in from another club in the National League and say, well, yeah, they're paying you for two days a week. We can pay you for seven days a week, uh, a higher amount of money. So there is uh, you know, there, there is the risk of losing players uh, again uh, you know, in, in that same division. So it, it's, it, it's no no difference in many ways to other divisions. You know, there, there are bigger fish and there are smaller fish in in all tiers of football, um, and and money counts. Uh, you know, the uh, in in the year that I was looking at, uh, which uh, which which was twenty eighteen nineteen, uh, that was uh, that was the year in which the the biggest losers in the national league from a financial point of view were Salford City, who were promoted to the EFL. So you know, money money counts. In the national league, just as it does elsewhere, I think for uh, for a club, uh, you, know, you know, Jason's comments was survive and thrive. Uh, you know, to get into the playoffs, to get promoted, if you're a part time team, is uh, is very very challenging indeed. It's interesting, Kieran. We talk about it being the unofficial fifth division, and yet it seems the PFA don't see it that way. There's been a very interesting mm. discussion amongst some of our listeners on social media recently, which I always enjoy watching our listeners discuss things with each other. And it seems, I didn't notice, teams in that league are not eligible to join the PFA, which surprised me because they are full-time professional players. Yeah, if if that is the case, yeah, that could... Uh, you know, you would you would have thought that they would be members. You know, I'll 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 chase up the PFA uh, and, and perhaps see if we can get a response from them in respect of that. Well, yeah, I'd be interested we're, if you're on good do, terms. Yeah, I know you are. That'd be interesting if you would do that, Kieran, because that's uh, certainly the people having the discussion are reliable people. I can guess, but I, w- I was surprised to to learn that. Uh, secondly, Kieran, is there a part of Greater Manchester you haven't lived in? <laughs> Uh, well, I was I was lived in Manchester for forty years. So you know, I, I was a student, and then I was, you know, renting uh, accommodation, and you you just go, go from one six month contract to another. Uh, so yeah, I've, I've done I've done Wally Range, I've done done Moss Side, I've, I've done Didsbury, uh, mm. both East and West, um, Withington. Uh, yeah, lots of places in in Manchester. Manchester is a fantastic city. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it doesn't matter where you're living there. It's uh, uh, yeah, the, the fact that I 
I adopted it for 40 years. Uh, was it's, it's down to the sport and music and culture and food. It's it's just an amazing place. Yeah, I, I think at least three of the places you just mentioned are Smith's B-sides, aren't they, as well? <laughs> and, do you know what's just occurred to me, Kieran? You, you lived in Manchester for 40 years and you were renting. It's quite possible that a young producer guy was your landlord. <laughs> Very probably. We know how much of that the Northwest he, he owns. It's like a monopoly book about there. Ben Gardner has our next question. Uh, ben Gardner says, and this is a very interesting question, I was wondering what happens when an EFL club who is already under restrictions for breaking profit and sustainability rules, uh, FFP as most of us call it, uh, if that club gets relegated, what happens? If the club is sticking to EFL rules, such as transfer embargoes, wage limits, would they still face potential future punishments for continuing to exceed the lost limits because of the reduced revenues they receive in the lower league? Or would the EFL take a common sense approach and refrain from punishing a club as long as it has been seeing to do all it could to minimise those losses? So basically, a team in breach of FFP gets relegated, uh, which makes it worse because revenues go down, but they're trying to take a sensible approach, but they're still in breach, do the EFL punishment uh, punish them or take that common sense approach? Um, well, I think fair to the EFL, they take a single jeopardy viewpoint. Uh, if a club is uh, accused of some form of financial misconduct in relation to profitability and sustainability rules in the championship or the uh, the wage cap rules in uh, in leagues one and two, um, there, there will be a set tariff of of punishment and. Uh, what tends to happen uh, when clubs are relegated is, first of all, we've got uh, relegation clauses embedded into contracts. What we also see, in especially in League One and, and Two, is that the vast majority of players are on one- and two-year contracts. So if you get relegated, you're, you're probably going to lose at least a third of your players, uh, and therefore you should be able to... Uh, recruit players in the division down below on, on far lower wages. So you still have to uh, take the existing punishment. So you might have been set a budget. Uh, you might have been set limits. Um, you know, if, we, if we take a look at what's happened with, with Derby County, um, you know, they, they were given sanctions uh, for what had happened to them in the championship. When they moved to League One, the new owners uh, were given effectively a, a new set of rules because, because the takeover took place uh, over the course of the summer, uh, which were independent. So, so they're not being punished twice. And the the, uh, the new rules, which I think are some form of wage cap in, in League One, are there to protect the club. And I think the club has acted in a very sensible manner to date anyway. Um, but uh, it, it's, it's, it's not going to try to... Uh, it, it's not going to try to compound uh, an original felony. Okay. Our next question comes from Craig Seddon. Hello, Craig. Uh, Craig says, third-party ownership is technically banned, but the rules seem a bit grey to someone who is not a member of the silver-tongued fraternity. To me, it implies that the rules only cover direct ownership. If a fan was wealthy enough, could they pay for an incoming player's transfer fee and put a contract in place with the club to stipulate they want their money back and a 30% sell-on fee when the player is sold, or would that constitute third-party ownership? I think this is uh, this is an intriguing one, and can I just say, as somebody that is colourblind, grey and silver are the same, by the way. <laughs> um, so <laughs> there's, there's, there's no difference. Uh, I, I was I did have a lot did have a conversation about about Manchester United on Saturday uh, until the Baroness 
sort of patiently pointed out to me that their their new away kit is apparently is lime green, but it's it's yellow to us colorblind folks. Oh. So I was going, well, they're they're, they're just as big. Yellow is appropriate for them. A bunch of bloody cowards. You know, the captain's not prepared to come out and talk to the media after that defeat and send somebody else out to do his work. And, goes, and she goes, oh, Kieran, it's it's the wrong color. Um, <laughs> So, so, so that sort of uh, that that popped my balloon. Well, um, don't, don't forget, she was slightly grumpy that you'd spent the whole of your wedding anniversary talking about the, the glazers to various media around yes. the world. <laughs> um, so, w- with regards to this, I, I think there is probably a way. Uh, I think as Craig is is sort of you know, trying to put together of some type of system. Uh, so it, this, this could be this. So let's say that, that Club A buy a player from Club B for $5 million. Um, They don't have the cash to do that. So they say, we're going to put effectively down a, a zero deposit ourselves. We're going to borrow money from <coughs> the club owner or a third party. Um, now, borrowing money is allowed. Uh, then under the terms of the loan, uh, the the loan interest could have some covenants in it, such as if the uh, if, if the instalments are uh, are uh, finished early, um, and if the player is sold, then under normal circumstances, certainly. I, I was talking to a, uh, a chief executive of a club last week, and he was. I think we had one of the questions from another listener, and he was saying in transfers between two English clubs. If there are outstanding instalments uh, and the player is then sold, then those outstanding instalments must be settled when the player is sold. If it's between an English club and a non-English club, it gets very messy. But what could happen here is uh, we buy a player for five million, we borrow from the club owner five million uh, in order to do that, and uh, the uh, there there are instalments due back to the uh, the club owner. If the player is then sold, then the club owner can put through a financial penalty, which would be this this effectively a share of the profits. Whether that constitutes third party ownership, uh, I, I don't think it would. Uh, yeah, we'd have to speak to uh, one of our legal friends here, but uh, I think the the issue that Craig raises is an intriguing one because uh, certainly th- there is a mindset. At some clubs, and it is very much the minority. You know, I think it, it you know, we, as, as, as listeners know, we're not cynics on this question on this show. Right. But um, I think people can become cynical because there's lots of you know disappointing news stories that that are covered. Uh, you know, they tend to outnumber the good ones at times. Um, the vast majority of people that we both speak to uh, in the game are good people with a love of football who want the best for the game, yeah, and and that that really does come through. Um, and for every Steve Dale, you know there are people like Andy Holt or, or Jason at uh, at Grimsby or you know Liam and, and Clive at uh, at, uh, at Lincoln who, who, who quite happily give up their time uh, to have a chat to put us right on things and uh, and a genuine love for the game. So um, it's it's something which uh, could could result in uh, a a creative way of of trying to get third party ownership. Um, I, I think what would have to be absolutely essential is that it would be the club selling the player rather than the owner selling the player, uh, the, the, the third party owner. And if you could prove that there was a separation, then I think you might get away with it. 
This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion, you do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. James Lowry uh, describes a situation that most football fans will recognise. As James says, a group of friends and I who all support different teams often debate the merits or otherwise of supporting your local club, uh, which makes me suspect that one of the people in James's group of friends who all support different teams is a Man United fan. Basically, I don't know where he's writing from, but normally when you have a debate about whether or not you support your local club, it's because one of you doesn't basically, and he gets shouted out and called a glory hunter, and then he shows us all his medals. Is it possible at all to quantify... <laughs> uh, talking of medals, actually, I just I, I just feel really sorry now for colourblind athletes uh, who who excited about their silver medal and just go, oh, give me a grey medal. That's not right. Um, yeah, gold and bronze are identical, by the way, so it doesn't matter which one you get, they're the same. Oh, there's a IOC scam that we've missed out on. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> Let's let's start James's question again so we get the full glory of it. A group of friends and I who all support different teams, one of whom is Man United, often debate the merits or otherwise of supporting local. Is it possible to quantify whether, as most of us assert, that local fans who buy match tickets most weeks are more valuable to clubs in terms of revenue, or as one of us suggests, is a better revenue stream for clubs to pursue increasing their global appeal to attract more overseas TV viewers and merchandise buyers, etc. Could we reach a point where TV deals around the globe are so around the globe are so valuable that it matters little to clubs how many supporters come through the turnstiles? This is a, a concern for a lot of fans. I, I suppose as you're scanning your electronic ticket going through the turnstile, the turnstile doesn't know whether you're a local fan or not, does it? Well, it might do because oh. the club has so much data on you. Because remember, when you bought your season ticket, you would have bought that using your credit card, and on your credit card has got your address. Yeah, I, so therefore, Kieran, Kieran, yeah. I'll stop you there. How how long have we did we've been doing this? How many times have we discussed that I'm not allowed to have my credit card? 
my my credit card is in Ali's purse for various reasons. I I have to pay for my season ticket off my debit card after I've earned enough money to pay for it. <laughs> right. But I assume my debit card has just as many details on it as my credit card. <laughs> Yes, yes. So, so, and, and I think this is one of the ways which clubs might consider, uh, you know, go, going forward. So, yeah, they do have a lot of data, and and yeah, there's no reason why, if uh, you know, you know, people might people might be asked innocent-looking questions like, yeah, what's your favourite player or what's your favourite food, and and you're sort of filling these things in on sort of you know club questionnaires, and then you start getting pinged during the match. You know, if, if your favourite player is. Uh, you know, if you're a Palace fan, it could be Wilfred Sahar or, or you know, whoever it's going to be. Uh, they might say, ah, well, he's just scored a goal. We're going to offer uh, 10% off all mer- merchandise linked with that player in the club shop for 30 minutes after the close of play. Yeah, the, 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 the clubs are starting to use these data in, in increasingly intriguing ways. Hmm. Um, but when, when it comes to TV revenues... Overall, as far as the Premier League is concerned, um, it generates £14 out of every 100 comes from ticket sales. So it's, it's, not, it's not significant. Um, and that it can be as low. If we, if we take a look at Bournemouth, uh, Bournemouth make £3.60 from ticket sales out of every £100 they generate in the Premier League. So um, it's, it's not huge uh, as a proportion but in terms of, uh, of of absolute numbers, it can be significant. So uh, Manchester United, Arsenal in years in which they qualify for the Champions League, and uh, and Spurs, who are, who I anticipate this season, if they if they have a half decent Champions League run, I, I I think that Spurs could become the the first club to to have uh, higher. Uh, Match day revenues than Manchester United, which which is which is a hell of an achievement, uh, you know, from from where they've come from. So, and we could, we'll be talking here, you know, up to one hundred and twenty million pounds a year. So, so the numbers are are significant. Now, yeah, we, we've also said uh, that we've got clubs using that as part of of their strategy. Uh, Liverpool could sell fifty thousand season tickets at Anfield uh, to people within a pretty pretty uh, narrow radius or short radius from, from Anfield itself. Why do they choose to only sell 27,000 season tickets a year? It's because the global supporters are more valuable because A, you sell match day tickets at higher prices. B, they're more likely to spend a fortune in the the club shop, in the megastore. Um, and see, they're more likely to spend money on catering and buy a program and, and so on. So, so there's 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 lots of reasons, but you've got to have that global fan base itself. You know, so yeah, Liverpool do have it. No disrespect to Middlesbrough, Middlesbrough don't. So mm. therefore, Middlesbrough will be quite happy to sell season tickets to local fans because they get guaranteed money. Um, and and uh, and they're, they're you know, if it's a Tuesday night match and that you know they're at home to to Reading. There aren't necessarily going to be that many walk-ups, so it does very much uh, vary from club to club, um, and I think you'd have to look at it on on that basis rather than on a global basis. Matthew Robinson uh, asked this question earlier this year. You discussed the deal that took Deli Ali to Everton from Spurs, 
and revealed that Everton wouldn't have to pay a penny until he'd made 20 appearances for them. My question Mm. is, why would Spurs agree to this? What happens if he doesn't play that amount of games, for example, if they sell him, or he has a career-ending injury? Surely Spurs wouldn't risk losing money just to help a Premier League rival, or have I misunderstood? Now, here we are pre-recording this, so we've recorded Mm. this on the 19th of August, but just a couple of days ago came news that Everton were looking to offload Deli Alley uh, on loan mm. elsewhere. So it's it's a very pertinent question, isn't it? It is. Um I think if we if we take a look at this from the perspective of Spurs, um Deli Alley, if he stayed at Spurs, wasn't going to be starting in the eleven. I think it's questionable whether he was going to be coming off the bench as well. And he had signed a very lucrative contract a few years ago. So therefore, yeah, he was costing them somewhere in the region of yeah, probably six to seven million pounds a year. He was he was an established in England international only a few yeah, years yeah. ago. Good player. Um, uh, and yeah, something isn't quite working out for for the young man. And remember, he is still a, a young man. Yeah. Um, so therefore, w- what Spurs have done is that because I think it is accepted within football that. He's he's not quite uh, uh, performing at his maximum, and and if you take a look at the comments which have come from Frank Lampard, they, they there's there's two elements to football. There's there's ability and there's effort, yeah. and I think he appears to be more folk. He's got more of one than the other at present, uh, and and that's that's not a criticism. Yeah, we don't know his personal circumstances. Um, so. From Spurs' point of view, he wasn't going to be playing. Nobody else was willing to take a risk on saying, we will buy him from you for 5 million, 10 million, 20 million, because they weren't certain whether he was going to play. So so there there was clearly a lot of uncertainty from the buying club's point of view. So therefore, Spurs have effectively given him a free transfer plus some add-ons. So from their point of view, they've saved his wages if he if if they got it wrong and he goes on to be successful at Everton, they will at least recoup some of the money from the sale of the player. If, however, they've sold him and the reservations that Spurs have turn out to be more universal, and for whatever reason he's 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 unable to perform at uh, uh, at the highest level in, in the in the Premier League at present, there's no reason why he can't back in coming two years be completely different. Then uh, they would have shared in the rewards. So so I think that's the approach which has been taken by Spurs that. Uh, they they sold him the way that they did because nobody was willing to pay a, a, a definite fee. Hmm. Uh, our final question comes from Billy Leed. Uh, I don't know if it's meant to be Billy Leeds or uh, whether producer Guy in his post-holiday stupor has left off the S, but uh, at the moment it's Billy Leed. Uh, Billy Leed says, can you please explain the current state of Sunderland's ownership and can Sunderland ever get back to the Premier League under the current ownership? Um. Well, if we answer the second question first, that they can certainly get back to the Premier League. Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, uh, the, the club is now under the control of Kirill Louis Dreyfus. I, I think there has been a lot of uh, dissent uh, within the Sunderland fan base with regards to what was perceived as a takeover. Uh, you know, a year eighteen months ago, whenever it was, when Kirill Louis Dreyfus first became involved, because the perception at the time was that um, that Donald and Methan, who I think had contributed 
either knowing, uh, probably unknowingly, into Sunderland becoming a bit of a laughing stock. Because if anybody watched Sunderland till I die, it was it was great viewing, and everybody that enjoyed watching that program from ninety one other clubs was thinking, Jesus Christ, I'm just so glad they're not of my club. <laughs> yeah. um, and and that was part of the charm, and there was a complete lack of self awareness from those two individuals, which which contributed towards the car crash uh, that that was the show, and, and and also you know could be said to to contract uh, contributed towards the club's lack of progress uh, in terms on the pitch. So um, they do now have a an individual who has a majority stake, and, and we've been talking. Uh, I think yeah, recently we spoke about. Uh, anybody interested in investing in Manchester United would want a majority stake because that gives you the ability to make decisions at senior level. And if you can make decisions at the top of a club, that sets the culture and that ideally flows through into all aspects of the club. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm I'm not I'm not going to call out Donald and Methven as as massive wrongans. I, I do think they were at. at I can politely say I think some of their discussions were uh, massively misguided, um, and uh, th- their motives were, uh, were were rambling and questionable at times. But uh, uh, they're, they're not on our wrongens list when we do our live shows. And remember, we're coming to Plymouth at the end of September. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, they, they they do now have an ownership structure in which decisions can be made by by an individual. Um, that can ideally set the tone at board level and then that can flow through into the club in terms of strategic decision-making and operational activities on the pitch. It, it's not entirely a vote of confidence, is it, Kieran? Not massive wrongans, Kieran Maguire. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't put it on your poster for an Edinburgh show, would you, basically? <laughs> um, we do have one last contribution, actually. It's not a question, but uh, Quentin Solden, who's a... Uh, regular contributor has suggested some alternative presenters for you Kieran uh, yes. I, I particularly like Colleen Rooney and Rebecca Vardy that I, that I would definitely listen to that one <laughs> Mark Goldberg and Mill Morris would be a good one uh, but my favourite is Frank DeBoer and Steve McLaren because <laughs> just trying to work out which one of them is actually Dutch from that <laughs> would be fantastic um Thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod as well, that'd be very kind of you. Please go to patreon.com forward slash price of football. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at price of football.com. Uh, we will be back again on Monday with a questions pod. Uh, and then again on Thursday with another questions pod because we are in the middle of our summer break. But in the meantime, I will hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, as always, folks, thanks very much for the support for the show uh, from all the different ways and, and for, for keeping us on our toes. Uh, you know, uh, we, get, we get emails, direct messages on social media. We get held to account on Twitter. And, and that, that's good. Yeah, we, 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 we openly admit uh, when we get things wrong. Uh, so uh, Patreon is one way of, of supporting the, the show. And thank you very much for all our Patreon supporters. Um, the other way of doing that is to go on to your uh, your social media app, your podcast app, uh, and to give us a review. And it only takes you know, 10, 20 seconds to give us a quick five stars if you, if you think we're worth it. Uh, it does help us in the charts. It helps us with the algorithms. It helps us with our credibility in terms of booking guests and so on. Um, it, it doesn't matter. You don't have to write anything, but if you do want to write anything, you can write whatever you want. You could even say you would rather have the show presented by 
Kate Winslet and Kevin Bloody Wilson. <laughs> and we'd we'd be more than happy to read that about the show. Yeah, we, we, our egos could cope with that. <laughs> that would be a good one. Uh, yeah, I'd like that one. Um, bye, everybody. Bye. The Bye, son, for the